We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Well, everybody, welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. Happy Easter to you, everybody. We're going to get this out to you a little bit earlier than our Monday usual. Going to be around this afternoon on a Sunday. So joining me, as always, is Kent Sterling. Kent, what's going on, man? Not too much. Happy Easter. It's a uh, not a bad day in central Indiana, and uh, we, we keep hunkering down, but lots to think about, lots to talk about. Absolutely, but before we jump into our list and before we reveal it, um, I gotta ask you, what is your favorite Easter candy? Oh, well, I always uh, you get the uh, milk chocolate bunny mm-hmm. that that weighed about six ounces, and right. so uh, and and like yeah. I don't know why, but I would wait to eat the ears last. I'm not sure why. You know, you gotta. I'd say, oh, those look too delicious, and they're, you know, they're like perfect single serving size. So I'd save the ears and and eat the bunny around the ears, and then finish off the bunny. We all do weird things like that, you know. It's just certain things that we do. I'm trying to think of something where I uh, where I do it different than that. Sometimes, like. Uh, I guess uh, Reese's. Sometimes I'll eat around the peanut. I'll eat around the peanut butter and save the peanut butter middle for the last, uh, just to be different. Sometimes and not <laughs> eat it all together. Um, sure. But yeah, I, I love. It the, defeats the purpose of the Reese's, though. It's uh, it's it's chocolate and peanut butter, you know, together. If if you separate them, you could have gotten a jar of peanut butter and and then a chocolate bar if you wanted. Well, but, the peanut know, butter inside is different than a jar. That's for sure. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little, I don't know what the texture sure. is, but. It's it's, uh, it's, it's different. Um, but yeah, so I think like everybody likes jelly beans. I'm not a big jelly bean guy. I think they're kind of overrated. And personally, you know, everybody loves the Reese's peanut butter eggs. So it's kind of like boring to give that as an answer. But as like a underdog, I guess 
I love me some Cadbury eggs. Those are so good to me. Oh, nice. Nice. And and good that you brought up jelly beans. Jelly beans I used to love, and then they ruined them by making all the novelty flavors. Yes. You, you, you don't know what you're getting. You pick one that tastes like buttered popcorn. I don't want a jelly bean that tastes like popcorn. I want fruity jelly beans. And so once they started making them like egg-flavored or root beer-flavored, I just said to hell with the whole thing. I'm not eating any of them. Uh, funny story, my sister actually absolutely loves popcorn jelly beans and we always make fun of her for it 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 makes no sense why one human would like popcorn jelly beans no no (laughs) that if god has intended jelly beans to be in popcorn flavor he would have made them for us (laughs) absolutely well (laughs) enough with the easter candy let's get into it so today of course we're continuing different list and we are going to do the top five worst draft picks in pacers nba history so this was a fun one because there's been quite a few stinkers that the Pacers have drafted, but hey, yeah. that's everybody. That's a lot of teams. I mean, a lot of teams don't get 100% on every draft. So, Kent, let's go ahead and start off with number five. Who do you have at number five? Number five, I've got Miles Plumley taken number 26 overall in 2012, and he was taken ahead of Jay Crowder, Draymond Green, and Chris Middleton. As you look at these, you know, it's really not about the quality of the pick quite Mm -hmm. as much as the guys who were overlooked in favor of that pick. And and for number five, Miles Plumlee, a seven-year career in the NBA, but nowhere near Jay Crowder, Chris Middleton, Draymond Green. Those guys were taken. Uh, Crowder was 34th, Green was 35th, and Middleton was 39th. Any of those guys would have been far superior to Miles Plumlee. Well, that is hilarious because Miles Plumlee is my number five as well. So we're starting things off agreeing here. Yeah, so kind of for me, like how I looked at this is where they were drafted and who they were drafted before, you know, and what they became. So, you know, if you look at Plumlee, he's obviously nobody really loved the pick. And it was kind of like, oh, yeah, another white guy going to Indiana, right? That's the the stigma that we get here with Indiana. But, you know, Draymond Green, second-round pick. So everybody passed on him. Uh, Jay Crowder, Chris Middleton, same thing. So it's not like – oh my gosh, I can't believe we passed up on Draymond Green for Miles Plumlee. Like, some people might have been thinking that at the time, but still, I believe yeah. that was like the 26th pick in the draft. Yeah. So he was so far down on this in the draft that you know when you get past like the lottery, it's kind of a crapshoot. Yeah, past the top 20, usually you're not going to find somebody that's jumping off the board because there's a reason why. They fell so low. So that's why I had Plumlee at five where, you know, you look at a Draymond Green, you look at a Chris Middleton, guys that are all-stars now. You're like, man, can't believe we passed up on him. But, hey, you know, Plumlee, the the fact that he got that four-year contract extension was just unbelievable to me that he even got that. Started 79 games the year after we traded him for Luis Scola, I believe it was, right? Yeah. And so, right. so yeah, so he plays seventy nine game or eighty games with the Suns, starts for seventy nine of them. That's his best year, eight points, uh, pretty much eight points, eight rebounds. And you know, he's just a guy. That's kind of what he is. He's not in the NBA anymore at this point. Uh, the 2018, 2019 was his last season with Atlanta at the age of thirty. But he lasted from twenty twelve to twenty nineteen, a lot longer than I expected. You know, you get guys it, it, when you're drafting in the twenties. It seemed like Larry Bird was kind of a guy who went for what he knew, mm-hmm. right? And and what you've got to do with those picks when you're drafting in the 20s is draft upside. 
Because if a guy doesn't develop, if a guy's drafted in the 20s and he doesn't develop, he doesn't have some kind of high end, you're not going to get anything out of the guy anyway. Mm -hmm. So, like, I've been in this business. I don't mind, like, T.J. Leaf is not in my my top five. And that's because I understood the mindset going into that pick where you were getting upside. You had an offensively talented guy who was unable to play defense. Maybe you could hang some muscle on him and he would become a better defensive player. I understand that thought process, even though that hasn't panned out to this point. But with Miles Plumley or a lot of the other big, tall, white guys, because there are, like you said, a whole bunch of these guys. Right. Like it, I don't know how many – I would be interested, and I'm, I'm not going to take the time to do it, but percentage of, of big, tall, white guys drafted by the Pacers in the first round – has got to outpace the rest of the NBA by like a factor of five. Right. But this is what they do and what they did. And there are some of these guys who are also on my list. But I, I left TJ Leaf off. And I think when you get when you get out of the lottery, you, you've got to draft upside. Yeah, well, uh, because you said TJ Leaf, I'm going to go ahead and segue into my number four, and that is TJ Leaf. <laughs> TJ Leaf was awful. The Pacers couldn't find anybody to trade for him. I mean, they're basically, please just take him off our hands for one more year. We'll give you TJ Leaf for anything. Nobody wants TJ Leaf, and I hate to say it, you know, he's not a bad guy, but the dude thinks he's a lot better than he is. He has, he's gotten worse as a shooter since he came into the league, and that's what he was supposed to be was a three-point shooter, and he's gotten worse at that statistically. I mean, 30, uh, 20, 26% last year, he's 36 this year, but he came in his first year shooting 43% from three. So, yeah, you know, it's one of those things where I think he's just consistently regressed. He's not even in the rotation. You got guys just completely outplaying him, like a Jakar Sampson, somebody that the team just brought in on like a one-year minimum deal playing over him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is the end of the road for TJ Leaf. And I never liked the pick in the first place. Usually I'll go through and look at, okay, who are five guys that I would like to see here that I think could be available at 18? And one of the, the number one guy on my list was Bam Adebayos, but he went a little bit earlier. I don't think a lot of people expected that. OG and OB from Indiana was on my list. Now, yeah. his, his career has been up and down with injuries, but he's been so good when he's played. John Collins was another guy yeah. that we, I liked right after that pick. So there was other guys that I had a lot higher than TJ Leap on my big board. And so when I saw the pick, I was just disgusted. I'm not going to lie. I was completely disgusted with it. So I had to put him on this list because I think he sucks. But, you know, I, I think that Miles, I think he was a little bit better than some of these other picks because of where he was drafted at. Yeah, I, and I can see it. it. It certainly hasn't panned out. But, like, I, I try to be in the moment a little bit. And, and say, okay, do I understand kind of what the conversation was around the table as the decision was made to make the pick? Right. I did at the time. I thought, okay, he's coming out as a freshman. Uh, he, he was good in the Pac-12. He seems to be a guy who's got a lot of upside offensively. you got to figure out whether he can play defense. It didn't bother me in the moment, so I, I didn't put him on my list. My number four is Solomon Hill. Okay. Um, you know, at, at number 23, at the time, I thought, what the hell is Solomon Hill? <laughs> you know, you, you knew who he was uh, it, it, as a collegiate guy, but he was a four-year kid. He, he wasn't going to get appreciably better. He did sign an enormous second contract with, with New Orleans, so he made a lot of money for being a very mediocre player. But with the next pick, 
the Pacers could have taken Tim Hardaway Jr. And with the 27th pick, they could have taken Rudy Gobert. And so, you know what? And those were those were guys in the moment where you thought, okay, that's a superior basketball player to Solomon Hill. So I've got Solomon at my number four. Yeah, no, I thought about Solomon as well because I too thought, oh, he's a second-round pick. We just reach on a second-round guy. But once again, right. similar to Plumley, it was a later first-round pick, 23, I believe he said. And one of the things I look at, even though his time in Indiana was not the greatest and Larry Bird was very frustrated with him, sent him home from Summer League, I believe, one year because he wasn't being the leader they wanted him to be. They didn't pick up his rookie extension. So he he really, honestly, was not playing well. But that last year that he was here, I know he was playing for a contract, but he was really right. good when the Pacers were playing against the Raptors in that playoff series. And he almost hit a game winner just a half second too late releasing it. But, you know, to me, it's like he contributed to at least one team so in a significant way. So I was like, I'm not going to put him on the list for me with my top five. But I definitely think that he's in my top ten because I felt like that was a reach at the time. And I felt like despite everything, he's had a good career, though, uh, as far as being a journeyman type player that's been – you know, I mean, he was okay with New Orleans. They were probably better when he played than when he didn't play. You know, a lot of people talk well about his time in Memphis and how he was a good mentor there. He's on the heat now. So, I mean, it's not like he's been completely taken out of the rotation and just an awful player that didn't live up to expectations. So that's why I didn't put him on my list. But I completely agree that he's a little bit of an underwhelming pick as well. Uh, who you got number three? Number three might be a bit of a surprise to you here, Kent. I yeah. went with Eric Dampier. Oh, and, nice. All okay, right. so, you know, he had a long career. He played for, what was it? Ooh, I can't even tell. From 1996 to 2012. So, yeah, a pretty lengthy career. But the 1996 draft is one of the most memorable drafts of all time. And here's just a few names that were dra- of players that were drafted after him. Kobe Bryant, Peja Stojakovic, Steve Nash, and Jermaine O'Neal. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So you just look at the list of guys that he went ahead of. And I'm not really sure why the Pacers felt that at that point that needed a big man either. They already had Rick Smiths. They already had Dell Davis. They had Antonio Davis. I don't understand why Dampier was really in there. And he only play, he played in 72 games for the Pacers his rookie season, but then he was traded to Golden State the year after. So he only played one year in Indiana. I believe he was, was that like the 10th pick? I can't even remember. What, yeah, his 10th. 10th pick, okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's lottery level. You got to get somebody that's a little bit better than that in the lottery when you're not in there because at this point the Pacers were playing probably one of their, you know, some of their best basketball. They had made some trades with Denver at that time to get Mark Jackson or Jalen Rose in that trade, and they ended up trading back for Mark Jackson. We talked about that before. So just that whole thing, you just look at the names. Not that Dampier is a bad player. Didn't really do much for the Pacers when he was here, but I don't think you can validate picking Dampier when you have those guys that I mentioned behind him. No, that's you know it is regrettable. I I think that he was he was a valid guy at ten, but if you look in the moment, if you look beyond obviously, and and you see a name like Kobe Bryant, that's the way this pick is going to be judged. If you look at win shares, which isn't a bad statistic to determine kind of career validity, right? Mm -hmm. Eric Dampier was 12th in that draft class. So it it, it kind of worked out. Now, Kobe Bryant 
Eric Dampier had 52.7 win shares. Uh, Kobe Bryant had 172.7. <laughs> Ray Allen had 145. Steve Nash had 129. You know, um, so it, Ray Allen obviously went ahead of Dampier. Right, right. But you look at that draft class, and uh, that was an absolutely superior class. And the Pacers, they kind of got mediocrity out of that pick, even though I think it slotted correctly. There were guys that they certainly could have picked ahead of him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's nothing against him. Like I said, just the guys behind him, I'm just like, oh, my God, we could have had yeah. all these players on the Pacers, and you put him with that team that was already stacked, we could have been really good. You know what I mean? But it's it's one of those things where I'm not sure what they were thinking, but big guys were essential back then. Maybe that's what it is. If it's a different era, we probably don't see him go at 10 uh, with who the roster they had at that point. So, anyway, Kent, who's your number three? I'm going to go way back into the dark ages, and it's another big, giant white guy, Rick Roby out of Kentucky in 1978. He was drafted, and this is this is a bit unfair because most of the time, you know, people were drafted ahead of their class. Mm-hmm. It was legal back in 1978 to um, assert the draft rights via the draft to somebody who wasn't yet coming out. And that's what the Celtics did at number six with Larry Bird. So Rick Roby, instead of Larry Bird, even though it was kind of atypical to have selected Larry Bird where he went for the Celtics, that is an enormous miss. Reggie Theus went number nine. Rick Roby, not a terrible career, uh, played through 1986 and until he was 30. He averaged double digits in points for three of those years. Um, only one of those with, uh, in, in fact, only a portion of one with the Pacers. And then he was dra- uh, traded, ironically, to the Boston Celtics, where he was a backup uh, on those championship teams with the Celtics in 81. And and so, you know, I, I just, that, that was a, a terrible pick in comparison to what they could have had had they had the foresight to go out and get Larry Bird a year early. That that's definitely something that I did not know uh, about Rick Roby. I honestly had no idea who Rick Roby was until you brought him up. I'm like Rick Roby. I've heard the name, but like, good grief, like who is this joker? And uh, I didn't go back into the 70s, but yeah, a lot of a lot of nice guys that fell behind him. In number three, I mean, what was his numbers at Kentucky? Was he a really good player in Kentucky? He was a good player, and they won a national championship in 79. They had a really good team. Uh, Jack Givens was a terrific player, not a great pro, but a terrific player. You had Roby, you had Phillips, uh, you had Kyle Macy, uh, Jay Scheidler. You know, you, they had a lot of talent on that Kentucky team. But it was they were really good college players, right. and none of them wound up being really good pros. And that was foreseeable at the time. You could look at those guys and say, okay, you know, maybe Roby on the high end could have been kind of a big, a Bill Lambeer type thug, but that wasn't the way he was wired. And and so you wound up with a really good college basketball team that didn't generate almost any good pros. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking back. I mean, the, the fact that the draft used to be, you know, what was it, eight rounds, ten rounds? Good yeah. grief, you know. And you just look at all these draft picks of all these random players that the Pacers selected. You're just, I'm just laughing right now. Uh, just, just looking at the 1978 draft. But yeah, 
Third pick overall, it's tough to have somebody flake out like that, not even play a full season with you after being third pick. So I'm fine with that. I uh, I didn't know much about him. I don't know if any of our listeners will know much about Rick Roby, but they're going to learn something today, Kent. They're going to learn something today. So, <laughs> well, that's why the people come in droves for this, isn't it? <laughs> it is exactly why they come in. So <laughs> let's go ahead and look at your number two, who you got. My number two is Sean Williams. Okay. Uh, he was taken 17th. And again, it's about who was taken, you know, who he was taken ahead of. And in this case, it's Ray John Rondo and Kyle Lowry. Both those guys would have looked pretty good in Pacers uniforms. Sean Williams did not look terribly good in a Pacers uniform. So uh, Sean Williams, the 17th overall pick in 2006, that's where I'm going. Yeah, Sean Williams was a person that I considered for my top five. Unfortunately, there was a couple other guys that I thought were drafted a little bit too high for the situation above him. So I did not put Sean Williams on my list, but definitely a, a, a complete flake out. Now, a lot of people that I remember at the time were thinking, oh, this is a really nice pick. I mean, I felt like people really talked highly about that pick and that he could be a, you know, a sleeper kind of guy that could change some some things up for the Pacers when they brought him in. And then he absolutely just crapped the bed and didn't do anything for him. So a lot of people, they talk about one of the worst picks in Pacers history. Sean Williams is a name you always hear. So, I mean, I don't know if you have any interesting stories about covering him with the Pacers, but if you do, please share. Not really. All I know is he played for seven teams in seven seasons, and that's that's never a good sign. I mean, I've never even heard of that. A guy who yeah. played seven years in the league, one of those years, the, there was an eighth year he didn't play. But to play a season – have a team per season and a career that lasted seven years is damn near unheard of yeah you know that's there's no doubt about that and it's kind of weird to think about that too but sean williams he bounced around for seven years that actually surprises me i can't believe he lasted that long i kind of forgot about him once he wasn't with the pacers but anyway i'm gonna move over to my number two and this might be a bit of a shocker but it goes all the way back to 1985 the second pick overall wayman tisdale oh yeah. All right. So I was telling my dad about this one, and he was like, well, I thought Wayman was pretty good. And I said, he was okay. But, you know, you, you look at his stats, and, you know, for the Pacers, he averaged 15 points and six rebounds. He only played four seasons before he was traded to the Sacramento Kings for LaSalle Thompson and Randy Whitman. This is yeah. the number two overall pick. You know, you're trying to go for Patrick Ewing, and this is the guy you come up with. And you're thinking, okay, Wayman Tisdale might be something. And you look at the guys that were drafted behind him. Chris Mullen, Carl Malone, and Charles Oakley were the three names that really stood out to me. I'm thinking Carl Malone, I think he's – is he number one in scoring in the NBA? Overall? All time? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Kareem still. Yeah, I know, but he had like 36,000 points. I mean, Carl Malone is top three at one point in scoring in the NBA. You you put a guy like Carl Malone with that Pacers team – Woo! I mean, that team could have won an NBA championship if they, you know, build the same way they built going forward. So, you know, I just think, you know, they obviously got Chris Mullen way past his prime. Even a even a prime Chris Mullen would have been better than Wayman Tisdale in my estimation. So maybe a little bit higher uh, than you expected. Maybe I could have put him at like four or five just because he wasn't a bad player and he was actually a pretty decent pro. But I just felt like the guys that were drafted after him were so much were so significantly better than him that I had to put him at number two on my list. Yeah, you, you mentioned Carl Malone. Terry Porter was terrific. Detlef mm-hmm. Schrempf, who we wound up with. 
uh, AC Green, Chris Mullen, Charles Oakley, Joe Dumars, for goodness sake, right. was, was terrific. You're not going to take Joe Dumars number two, but it, it, looking back, maybe you do. Tisdale, overall, not a bad basketball player, had a nice long career, uh, a really happy guy and a good guy, a terrific jazz musician. Right. Who, who released albums as as a jazz guy, and of course he was taken from us way too young. Bob Knight with terrific stories about Wayman Tisdale as a member of that 1984 Olympic team. Uh, always happy, always smiling. No matter how badly Knight tried to treat Tisdale, Tisdale grinned and, and said, yes, sir, and went out and did his business, and it kind of confounded Knight. So a, a really good dude and a good basketball player, but not worthy of the number two pick, no doubt. Yeah, and I mean, you just kind of look back, even some of the guys later, like Sam Mitchell was drafted in round three of that draft. Uh, in round two, they had Manute Bull. I mean, there's just different random players that were in that. Uh, Ty Corbin was in that draft. Uh, yeah. This draft actually had some decent names later in the rounds, too. Uh, Sabonis, Arvita Sabonis was drafted by Atlanta in round four. How crazy is that? Spud Webb, too. So, yeah, just kind of looking here on basketball reference at this draft. And, I mean, of course, we know that Patrick Ewing was the prized possession in this draft. There's the frozen envelope is the whole thing where the Knicks had the frozen envelope that David Stern pulled out. And, you know, the Pacers got the number two pick. But at, at that point, you know, you're you're a small market. You're, you're new to the NBA at this point. You're still trying to grow your roster. And I just felt like if you're going to be the number two overall pick and you only last four years with one team, that says more about you know how valuable you were to the team than anything else. So that's my number two. Let's get to our number one. Kent, who you got? My number one is a little bit complicated uh, because it was a traded pick in 1984. So in 1981, the Pacers trade their number one pick for 1984 for a guy named Tom Owens. And Tom Owens was traded the following offseason for a second-round pick. That 1984 second overall pick uh, wound up the property of the Portland Trailblazers, and they took Sam Bowie. So you don't feel too bad about that. But the number three overall pick went to the Chicago Bulls, and that was Michael Jordan. So what the Pacers did was trade a draft pick that wound up where they could have gotten Michael Jordan, and they traded it straight up for a guy named Tom Owens, and they netted one year of Tom Owens and then got a second-round pick in 1982. This is a debacle. And, and really, if that trade goes unmade, you've got an opportunity to have uh, the best player in the history of the game here for a long time, and it would have changed the arc of this franchise and probably of Michael Jordan's career. But that, that's the worst use of, of draft equity I've ever heard of like that. That's the worst trade ever. Tom Owens for Michael Jordan, potentially I, there, there is no, there, there's no equal to that as far as bad deals in the history of any team sport in America. So they traded the 1984 first round pick for Tom Owens. Yes. And where was Tom Owens at, at the time? Tom Owens had kind of knocked around a little bit. He had played, he, he was at Portland and and he had been a, an okay player, but another one of these big, tall, white guys. Right. Like the big, tall, white guys. If I were Kevin Pritchard, I, I would assemble a group of people around a conference table, and I'd say, okay, give me your – let's rank guys. And you go from like, I don't know, 1 to 60, right, because it's a two-round draft. And then anybody who put on their list a big, tall, white guy, I would fire. 
summarily fire that person and have them pack a box that day, get in their car and get the hell out of my building. Because this this habitual need to go out and draft or trade for big, tall, white guys has not served this uh, other than Rick Smith. It has not or Jeff Foster, I guess it has not served this franchise well. Well, let me ask you this, because this is such a Pacers thing to do. And I what I think they would do. Personally, I think if they have that number two overall pick in the 1984 yeah. draft, I think they're going to take Sam Bowie, just like Portland. <laughs> but here's the thing, and and here's part of the reason why they wound up with Tisdale, is they would talk to Bob Knight. They would, they would, and a lot of teams did this. Like Portland talked to Knight about Jordan, and they say we we don't need we need a center, we don't need a small forward. He said, well, then play Jordan at center. What's the matter with? Yeah, that is true. He was he was super and high. He was doing the same thing. Yeah, and and so that's one of the reasons. Like I, I think Vern Fleming played on that team. Wayman Tisdale played on that team. That was a really really good Olympic team. And Bob Knight kind of had the down low on all those guys. And maybe the Pacers would have listened to Bob Knight when they when he would say, you know what, this guy is a real deal. Absolutely draft this individual. Well, yeah, and I mean, even if they don't draft Sam Bowie, they don't draft Michael Jordan, some notable names in that 1984 draft, you've got Sam Perkins, Big Smooth, who played 17 years in the NBA. you got Charles yeah. Barkley, who played 16 in the NBA. You scroll down a little bit, you see Vern Fleming was drafted at 18, but just two picks before him, Utah got uh, John Stockton. So there were some pretty big names in there that the Pacers still could have wound up with over a guy like Tom Owens at number, you know, at that, <laughs> at that number two pick. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I can't argue with it, Kent. Uh, but because I'm younger, I, I try to avoid the 80s as much as possible. That's why I only did one with <laughs> Wayne Tisdale. I'm going to go to the 1999 NBA draft. I'm going to go with Jonathan Bender as my number one pick. And this is kind of sad. Only because okay. Bender... You know, he, he started, and I believe it was, I'm counting here, looks like 27 games. He was the fifth overall pick. Now, here's a couple things to throw at you. The Pacers in 1999 had just lost game seven the previous year to the Chicago Bulls. And they were right there in the mix of things. MJ retires. They've got a golden opportunity right now to make it back to the NBA, you know to the Eastern Conference Finals and possibly the NBA Finals. They did make it back to the Eastern Conference Finals. If they would have kept Antonio Davis instead of trading him for the fifth over pick, fifth overall pick in Jonathan Bender, I think that helps the bench depth a little bit. Not to mention a guy by the name of Sean Marion, who was very good in the NBA for a very long time. He would have been much more productive for the Pacers, not necessarily in that season, but maybe as a rookie he could have been productive. But even if you look at him a couple years later playing with Jermaine and, and, and Ron Artest, in that group, I think that he could have been very valuable with those teams as well. So you really just you take a gamble on a guy at the age of 19. You know, this is right when high schoolers started becoming a big thing. You see KG get drafted. You see Kobe get drafted. It's one of those things now where you're almost kind of stockpiling on young guys that you think could develop into something. And Jonathan Bender's best year, he averaged 7.4 points. And he started in 17 of those uh, 78 games that he played. From 26 to 28, did not play one game due to his injury. Donnie Walsh, to this day, probably still believes that Jonathan Bender can be the next Kevin Durant because he picks him up at the age of 29 with the New York Knicks in 2009-2010, and he plays 25 games there, averages 4.7 points before he eventually retires. And 
I have nothing against Jonathan Bender as a person. I think he's a great person. And, you know, what he's been trying to do to help people that have knee injuries with the, the equipment that he's done and the research that he's done with all of that. But I just think at number five, when they were at their peak as far as trying to make the NBA, you know, playoffs and the finals and that kind of thing, I just feel like it was just a tragedy to let Antonio go and not have him for the NBA finals in that in that next series. You know, I completely get it. And And if you look at draft position where he was fifth overall, and his statistics throughout his career and the contributions he made to the Pacers, there's no doubt that there's a problem there. And I don't know what the ability of the Pacers, what that ability was 20 years ago for them to kind of do medicals and figure out whether a guy is likely to suffer the knee issues that that took Bender's career and kind of dumped it. Um, so I, I, but in the moment, and there were there were moments when Jonathan Bender played and he was superb and you saw exactly what he could have been if check those knee issues. Um, you know what? I, I, if, if this was a medical issue, then it's a bad draft. Yeah. Right. But if it's a, a circumstance that Donnie and the guys in the front office at that point couldn't foresee, I don't assess this as as a bad draft pick, just really, really awful circumstances that kept that kid from being as dominant and as good as he could have been. Yeah, and that's a fair point, too, because I agree with that. I think that if he would have been healthy, he could have been a a huge game changer for the Pacers, but unfortunately he wasn't. And so because of the injuries, I mean, not even Sean Marion, someone that I really liked from UNLV, you got Richard Hamilton. You know, Andre Miller had a solid career. Uh, yeah. Ron Artest was drafted that year as well. And yeah. We ended up trading for Jeff Foster that same year. You know, he was drafted 21st overall by the Warriors. We traded Vontigo Cummings from Pitt with a 26th pick immediately for Jeff Foster. So Andre Karolenko also was drafted later. Now, he wasn't, you know, a great, great pro, but he was still really solid. And, and you just think about it, and... Personally, it's like, you know, maybe I'm a little too harsh on Bender because I, I really believe like, oh, man, you know, we just took the just took the Bulls, you know, to seven games. Right. We just lost to the Knicks, you know, in the Eastern Conference Finals. And now we're going to go get this rookie that's supposed to be the next, you know, thing before Kevin Durant was. And my goodness, he ends up basically just flaking out because of injuries. And it, it kind of did hurt the Pacers a little bit in that time frame. But at the same time, they were already so deep, it made kind of sense to draft a high schooler that you could hope eventually becomes something in two to three years when you're expecting these veterans to retire so or move on. So maybe, I, I kind of get why they made the pick, but still to me, just yeah. the career that he had just totally sucked, in my opinion, to lose a guy like Antonio and not get some capable college players that could have helped those, that team in the NBA Finals. Yeah, I, 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 there's nothing to disagree with there at all. And, and it, what I tend to do, and this is, this is where logic kind of takes a holiday for me, is like if you put Jonathan Bender on that team, those Pacers teams, having him be as good as he could have been with guys like Jermaine and, and that kind of the brawl era teams, man, how good would they have been? But if Jonathan Bender is healthy, maybe they don't even make that trade for Jermaine. Mm-hmm. So you can it, it's like all the dominoes because of Bender getting hurt, they kind of fell in one direction instead of the other. So you really can't 
you can't presuppose what they might have been with Bender at the age of 25 and healthy because you don't know what how that would have affected the moves going forward. Um, but I, you know, I totally agree that it, that pick at number five was uh, in in hindsight a massive overreach. But in the moment, you thought, "Wow." We just might have gotten you, – you, we talked about Kobe Bryant before, but a guy who could be straight out of high school as dynamic maybe as Kobe Bryant. I mean, Jonathan Bender had everything back then. And he was a good three-point shooter. He could put it on the deck. He could defend. He was long. He was kind of that prototypical guy with NBA MVP-type characteristics, but he just didn't have the knees that held up. And, yeah. and because of that, the Pacers wound up where they were. And we didn't even mention two of them, right? I mean, we did the top five. We could have done top five big white guys who are <laughs> overreaches for the Pacers, but we didn't even talk about Steve Stepanovich, who has taken number two overall. Have The, the Pacers have done less over, with number two picks overall than any franchise oh. in any sport ever. You know, Smith's the only guy that I can think of off the top of my head who was uh, who wound up working out. They took him over Byron Scott, uh, Dale Ellis, and Clyde Drexler, for God's sake. And then in 2009, Tyler Hansborough. And, uh, you know, Hansborough was taken in front of a bunch of point guards who, have, who are still playing. Drew Holiday, Jeff Teague, Darren Collison just retired. Taj Gibson at number 26. And somehow we wind up with Tyler Hansbrough, who had no upside. You knew exactly who he was going to be coming into the league, and it didn't work out. What about George McLeod? Did you think he was a bad pick? No, I thought he, you know, in the end, I think he was kind of a good pick. I, I thought it was okay. In the pantheon of bad picks for the Indiana Pacers, George McLeod didn't bother me. At number seven, it did you know that George McLeod was actually the last Indiana Pacers I believe this is right. The last first round pick who fell inside the top 10. Yes. So they I, earned the top nine, one through nine. So. Yeah, that's what uh, it was funny because I had Derek Schultz on last week for an episode, and he actually brought that up in a fun fact. So it's kind of funny that you guys are both going there. Um, another person that I thought might make the list that didn't make our list was David Harrison. Yeah, yeah, I thought about David. It was just but he me, was 29th, right? Yes. I mean, it's hard with the 29th overall pick to get the guy right. That's kind of where I went with that one, too. And it's like, you know, he was a 29th overall pick. How can he really be that bad of a pick? <laughs> you know, um, uh, I almost wanted to throw a little shade up there and write Kawhi Leonard <laughs> just because yeah, we right. traded the pick. It wasn't a bad pick, but the fact that we traded it was dumb. And uh, that that was just being stupid. But honestly, Kent... I'm so you know I was gonna tease you a little bit. I was gonna put Goga in my honorable mentions. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> Just sure, I mean, I'm telling you, if he doesn't, we're gonna pan look out. back in four years, and he is not gonna be on the list of the big tall white guys who've been disappointments with the Indiana Pacers. No, he might be though. If he is, we'll have some fun <laughs> with it. That's for sure. But looking overall at some of these drafts, which draft do you think was the best draft in Pacers history, where they got maybe not even one, wow. but two or three guys? That the best draft team. in Pacers history. That's a great question. Um, uh, boy, um, you kind of you got to go back a ways, but probably that 2010 draft. As much as it pains me to to say, with uh, Paul George Lance Stevenson, that's yeah, what I was that, thinking. that's a pretty good duo. Um, other than that, I mean, if you keep going back and going back, and like you you got to go back a long way. 
in, in fact, I don't, I see nothing. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm back to 1986 now, and they did get Chuck Person and Greg Dryling. Right. That's not a horrible draft in '86, but other than that, you know, they didn't really get. Uh, they haven't had that Bafo draft that uh, that kind of sets a team up, you know, for a championship run. They they just haven't had that. Yeah, I mean, I I think one of the other ones you could possibly look at was the year right after 2010, 2011. Both of them went to the Spurs, but Bertans and Kawhi Leonard in the same year was pretty. Uh, yeah. Pretty sneaky good because Bertans actually has been pretty good this year, but yeah, a lot of times the second round picks for the Pacers don't turn out. Um, you know, you got like you know Joe Young, uh, Ike Anibogu, Alize Johnson, just kind of guys that never really become anything, and they're always late second round picks too. If you notice, Lance is probably one of the earlier ones that we've had. Uh, AJ Price was a little bit of an underrated number two overall or second yep. round pick. I liked AJ Price quite a bit actually, and I was always kind of dumbfounded why he never stuck around longer than he did because I always thought when he played, he was actually, you know, someone that you could count on, rely on to, to give you just competent basketball play at the point guard position. You know, and, and when you look back at other franchises, maybe, and, and you say, okay, how did these teams get to where they got? And, you know, you had like the Bulls got Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant in the same, uh, the same draft. They took Stacey King and BJ Armstrong in the same draft you know they've had drafts and and especially in those championship years where they netted more than one really really good player you look at their 99 draft with elton brand and metal world peace nice little piece of draft although elton brand probably an overreach with the number one overall pick but you you look at how other teams have done it other franchises and and you kind of see that it's the draft where they build you know, they build that core group of guys and then add with free agency. And, and the Pacers, under Donnie Walsh, they brought in a lot of good talent and they had a lot of good teams. And I think they're on their way to doing that with Kevin. They just haven't had those guys like we talked about, one through nine in the draft. Pacers haven't had a one through nine pick all the way back to 1990 in George McLeod. So it, it's difficult for the Pacers to do what they're trying to do, and that's win a championship by drafting where they're drafting. Um, but you know what? The, I, I think that Pritchard's got his head screwed on straight with how to exercise those draft mm-hmm. picks. Because I if you're too. drafting, you know, like outside the lottery, you got to go, uh, you know, high ceiling and really low floor, and sometimes you're going to crap out and you're not going to get, you're going to wind up with a TJ Leaf, but every once in a while, maybe you get a Goga. If Goga yeah. winds up being as good as I think he can be, and you're right about TJ, T- I, I watch him in practice shoot when they're working on shooting. His shot is broken, mm-hmm. like his structurally, his shot is a disaster from beyond the arc. And if he can't shoot threes, he can't play. No, and that's the thing. Like that's what he was brought here to do is shoot threes, and then he absolutely just kind of got away from that. I don't know. Like yeah. he changed his shot or something. Like it, whatever he did. He regressed, and it's not been good. But Kent, I wanted to just go through here. Since two since two thousand, our lottery picks have been Fred Jones, Jared Bayless, who was traded to Portland, yeah. Tyler Hansborough, and Paul George. Oh, I guess Miles Turner as well. Miles Turner's in there as well. But yeah, so Turner and Paul George within the last ten years have been pretty good. You know, picks at number ten and number eleven. But Tyler Hansborough, the year before Paul George, Jared Bayless, the year before that, absolutely a terrible 
NBA career for Jared Bayless. He was nothing. Um, Fred Jones, a little bit of a underwhelming player. Uh, you know, won a slam dunk contest and a very boring slam dunk year. But uh, kudos to him for that. But yeah, I mean, you just look at those guys. It's just like, besides Paul George, I mean, you haven't had a major massive star that you've gotten in the lottery when they've been there. So it's just one of those things where they have to find a way. Like, I absolutely love the fact that they traded Karis LeVert's, you know, draft rights for yeah. Thaddeus Young. You know, that's that's yeah. the kind of thing as the Pacers have to do when they're going to get those, you know, middle-of-the-pack first-round picks, like 15 to 20. Because if they can acquire talent, I think that's better than trying to reach on somebody that late in the draft. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and uh, um, th- this obviously, whoever was the general manager of this team in the early 80s, uh, he had his job, <laughs> assuming it was one guy. He, he has authored like at least three of the worst decisions maybe in NBA history in terms of utilizing draft equity and selecting people. Um, But I do. I I think that Pritchard's got his head on straight. You look at Miles Turner, and I know there are a lot of people, you know, a lot of Pacers fans who kind of cock their heads sideways as they look at Miles Turner. But if you look at win shares, he's third overall in that draft behind Carl Anthony Towns and Montrez Harrell. And and so you know what the, I I think the Pacers did really well with Miles Turner and that was that was how about me for being an idiot I thought in that draft I was like you know what Bobby Portis is my guy Bobby he came Portis, in, yeah he came in for the pre-draft workout and man did I love that kid's attitude I loved everything about him and Miles was a little bit aloof and and we actually got to watch the workouts at that point I believe. And and so that was instructive. But Miles has wound up being a really good pick at, at 11th overall in the 2015 draft. And you look at my guy, Bobby Portis, and in terms of win shares, he's at number 17 overall in that draft. So yeah. uh, what do I know? Yeah, well, I'm glad they took Miles because he was the guy that I actually thought they were going to go with. It was between him, the point guard campaign, and the other guy that everybody kept saying was going to be coming here possibly was Trey Lyles, and I was about to puke when I heard that. I didn't think Trey Lyles was a great college player. I thought he was okay, and I was like, I just don't think he's going to be a viable NBA player, and you've seen him kind of bounce around. He's had you know games here and there where he's looked decent, but for the most part, he's not had a great NBA career. The only other person that you could possibly say would have maybe been a better pick was Devin Booker, but you know, yeah. it, it's kind of hard to determine that because the Pacers were in a situation where they knew they were going to move on from Hibbert. People were thinking, how are they going to play Turner and Hibbert together? Well, we see Hibbert get flipped for a second round pick to the Lakers that same off season. So they knew what they were doing. They had Jan Mahimi there and miles actually was somebody that came in, you know, and really helped once he started because yeah. before he was playing, I mean, they were playing the Allen for Pete's sake for too many games and miles you know was able to kind of help get the pacers over the hump in that area and i thought miles really you know the ability to stretch the floor and block shots i felt like that's kind of what the pacers wanted was uh, a roy hibbert type player that can block shots protect the rim but can also step out and hit the three so to me that pick made a ton of sense at number 11 yeah i totally agree and and he's wound up being a good guy and and a uh, a guy who works hard he's got the yoga going and and hopefully that helps. You know, I get why people passed on him, and and I get why Rick Barnes didn't play him a gob at Texas, because if you watch him run, even if you just watch him walk, 
it's very awkward and very weird. But you know what? He gets some things done. He's a good shooter. He's an elite-level uh, rim protector. And so, you know what? I, I think that, that that pick, this is a really interesting team because I think he's still got a level where he could jump. And, and you've got guys on this team that, that are young and are in development and are figuring stuff out. I, I think that this team projects toward getting better rather than receding, no matter what they do in the draft moving forward, at least in the next couple of years. Yeah, well, <clears throat> excuse me there. Sorry for the cough, but um, I, I wanted to uh, go ahead and let you know who that GM was that was running the Pacers during the 80s that you were not very fond of. Yeah. So from 1981 to April 20th, 1986, it was Robert, and I'm going to probably butcher his name, but it's S-A-L-Y-E-R-S. So Sallers? Sallers? I don't know how to say that, but... Yeah, it's it's interesting to see who we pick, but you can just go through. Goodbye, and, good luck, Robert. Yeah, and, and if you go through and just look at all the moves that he made, you're probably just like scratching your head, like this dude has got to be one of the worst GMs in NBA history. I am baffled by some yeah. of these moves that he made. So uh, yeah, go look it up on Basketball Reference. Just look up Pacers GMs, and it'll come up. But yeah. Ken, it's been interesting, and you know what? I know it's been a lot of fun doing this, and next week we haven't really discussed yeah. anything, but just because we're on the draft, would you be interested in doing uh, second round, the top five best second round picks from the Pacers in NBA history? I'll do it, but I'll do it under protest because I think I'm going to wind up having Lance Stevenson as the number one guy, and that just bothers me. No, but he won't be your number one we'll guy. We'll do it. We'll have me. fun. He, he won't, won't be? be your number one. Oh, AD, or... Mm-hmm. Tony was a uh, Antonio was a, a second rounder, right? Right. So he's in there. Yeah. Well, we don't want to give it away too much yet. So <laughs> the uh, and, and this is you know what I enjoy these because this builds kind of a, a background, especially for those years before I got here, like in '93. Where through doing the research to put these lists together, I'm learning all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's it's funny. I'm learning things too, and things that I'm looking at, I'm like, I got guys in my head. Then I go back and look. Like I don't even think about Wayman Tisdale at all for the for, for the first little bit. I'm thinking, oh, T.J. Leaf, you know, Solomon Hill, right. Hansborough, Plumley. I'm like, okay, this is too recent. I need to go back and look at some history and see. And then I realize, oh wow, we have been a really bad team in the draft. <laughs> So, so we've almost done better with like the 10 to 15 picks than we have with the top five. It's weird, but it's yep. kind of true. But anyway, Kent, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming yeah. on and doing this. And uh, next week we'll have some fun with it too. My pleasure. We'll talk to you then. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.